welcome back to another edition of the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Baseball Podcast. And this will actually be the last preseason or spring training edition. As the next time you hear our lovely voices, we will be a couple games in to the 2022 Major League Baseball regular season. And I'm sure by the time you hear it next, Byron Buxton will already have a couple homers, a couple stolen bases, you know, just typical MVP type stuff for the Minnesota outfielder. But I am Colby Conway at Colby R. Conway on Twitter. And with me, as always, Matt Sells at The Sellsman on Twitter. So, Matt, how is everything going for you? Uh, it's <clears throat> it's going pretty well. Um, I apologize for the rougher voice that I might cough a bit through this podcast. I'm a little under the weather, and I'm back from my, uh, like, 96-hour excursion to uh, Atlantic City. Spent 24 hours in a car driving, spent 42 hours there, and then spent 24 hours driving back. So... Um, all in the name of fantasy baseball. Drafted my home league team. I think it went pretty well, except for uh, got done drafting and realized I didn't have a closer that I thought I had during the draft. So that's always a great. Uh, that's that's always great when you finish drafting and one of the guys you drafted isn't holding the position you thought he was five hours before. Um, so aside from that, I'm doing pretty well, and uh, you know it's a busy busy. Weekend for sports, we got MLB opening day on Thursday. We got Martinsville on Saturday night for NASCAR. We got the Australian GP for F1 uh, overnight on Saturday night. And then the Masters is Thursday through Sunday, and Tiger is back. So it's not a lot of sleep for me this weekend with a whole bunch of sports coming. Sounds like the TV might not be turned off too much this weekend either. You might have to have multiple going, maybe a laptop going, watching something. Then you got the TV going with something. And then, of course, you know, now that we're at 2022 and you can't live without a cell phone anymore, you're going to have something on the cell phone, too. You're, you know, it's going to be ding, ding, ding with all these alerts and everything. Yeah, well, luckily, I've got the laptop. I've got a desktop computer. I've got three monitors, a TV and a tablet. So I think I think if I just set them all up, I can see everything that's happening at one time. And, of course, MLB.TV allows me to watch four games at a time. So maybe I have that on two monitors. So I can watch eight games at one time. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. It's gonna. It's gonna be. It's gonna be an awesome weekend. You know, Monday we had the we had the national championship game. Sunday we had the women's national championship game. So it's been a heck of a week for sports. And of course, the last couple spring training games underway. And then of course, opening day coming up here in a few days. Maybe tomorrow, depending on when you are listening to this. Maybe it's today, depending on when you're listening to this. But it is right around the corner. But there are. The last couple of things we got to touch on here that happened over the, the last couple of days, and honestly, since the last time that we talked, uh, one of the biggest moves being the fire sale in Oakland has continued, will continue, and will be continuing uh, likely into the season as Oakland continues to shed payroll and shed wins is really what it seems like. But they sent Sean Mania over to the Padres. Overall, for me, Matt, I'll kind of just give my quick thoughts here, and I'll let you talk more about the the deal it's a net positive for him because he's going to a better situation. That's just cut and dry. He's not going to change. He's not gaining velocity on his fastball. He's going to be the same type pitcher. He just now has a better situation around and behind him. He's got a good San Diego offense. They should be fine defensively. And Manaya should just continue to be the same pitcher that he has been. And it's ultimately it's going to come down. Will the strikeout or at least over a strikeout per inning remain? That'll be kind of the bread and butter to his fantasy value this year because the win should be there. But talk to me about your thoughts about the Manaya to San Diego trade. Yeah, I think it's, you know, more of the same from Oakland. You know, they're just continuing to 
dump guys who have team control um, so that they can avoid having to pay these guys later because they don't have the money to do it, apparently. Um, While I will save my thoughts on what that means for the ownership and should they be forced out or not, I don't know. Um, But it's pretty silly that a team that has um, as high of a winning percentage over the last four years as Oakland has had is dumping all of these guys in a quote-unquote rebuild. Um, The prospects they got back from from San Diego are okay. They're not fantastic. Um, they're, they're all right. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, a couple of weeks ago we talked about, I had mentioned, had anybody actually looked at the Padres rotation and that they were at least one arm short, if not two. So this certainly helps the Padres rotation. Um, because we all know how Paddock has struggled, um, you know, Mackenzie Gore at this point is expected to make the team what exactly his role will be. Not sure, but they need all the rotation help they can get. So Manea helps them there. Um, in terms of ballpark, I don't know. I think it's a pretty neutral switch, in my opinion. Um, yeah, he's going to have to pitch in cores a little bit now, but, I mean, it's like maybe one start a year. Um so that's not that's not so bad. I don't really think it changes his fantasy value all that much. Yeah, it's like I said, pretty much it, it's it's overall it's a net positive because again at this point, pretty much anybody getting out of Oakland is going to be a positive. It's just I mean, in win, yeah, it will help him. But in terms of ratios and strikeout numbers and whatnot, I think it's basically the same. And then what's interesting to me with this deal is the Padres. They have a good amount of arms, to say the least, and they are willing to wheel and deal often. If if you're asking me, I think there's another there's another card up that sleeve in San Diego. I don't know what the next move is going to be, but I, I think there's one more move coming from San Diego. It might not be before the season starts, but maybe shortly into it. I, I, San Diego is going to flip for one more piece, I think. We saw they were in on Brian Reynolds, as most teams are and probably should be. They might be looking for another outfielder. I, I just don't think the Padres are done. I think there's one more coming. Yeah. Um, I think that, to be honest, they may, don't be shocked if you hear this in a couple of months, they may pull off a move to go get Bieber. Yeah. I mean. Okay. Look, Cleveland has been rumored to be trading Jose Ramirez, right? So why wouldn't they be dealing Bieber, who's going to cost them more to sign as a pitcher? Then probably Jose Ramirez will as a bat. And Cleveland is all about building up their their farm system, which they've done a very good job of. But they're not really in a position to compete very well in the AL Central this year. Um, And the Padres need an arm to go compete. Because let's face it, the only spot that's basically locked up in the NL West is probably the winner of that division, which is the Dodgers. Everything else is open at this point. So if the Padres can go get themselves another arm, um, then they can make some real noise, and they've got the prospects to go get Bieber. So I wouldn't be shocked if they if they pull off a deal to go get a guy like Shane Bieber. So is Matt Sells at the Sellsman on Twitter putting a stake in the ground that Shane Bieber is a Padre by the trade deadline? Yes. Love it. Love it. Another team. That's no, 
no stranger to wheeling and dealing are the Rays. And they sent former Pittsburgh great Austin Meadows to Detroit. Personally, I like this move for, I mean, more so the, the, the Tigers. They're adding another good bat into the lineup. I fully expect Detroit limits Meadows' exposure to lefties. It's just probably what's going to happen. But he's going to, when, when Meadows does play, aka against right handers, I don't see him hitting any lower than fifth, at least until Torkelson gets his, you know, he starts getting his feet wet and they eventually move him up into the order. Because there's no way Tork is going to hit seventh or eighth the whole season. Absolutely not. No shot in hell that happens. But to begin the year, Meadows probably hits four or five against right handers. He's got Javi Baez, uh, you know, star Akil Badu leading off and helping on my fantasy team. So we have that to go there. But it, it's kind of a high and low with this deal for the Tigers because if Riley Green didn't get injured, would acquiring Meadows have been maybe pushed on the back burner a little bit? So Meadows should be in a good lineup. He'll continue to be fine. And again, he won't play much against lefties and the Riley Green injury stinks. So it's kind of highs and lows there for Detroit. Yeah, but I mean, in all honesty, it didn't really cost them that much to go get Meadows, right? They gave up Isaac Paredes, who is a solid player, but not great. And he's more of a util guy, really, um, across the infield. And it cost him a comp round pick which is somewhere in the 60s if you because it'll come after the second round uh the second full round of picks so you know tampa does very well with drafting detroit has done very well with drafting recently but i agree with you had riley green not broken his foot would this have happened probably not we don't know um but yeah, I mean, I think it's a good, they get Meadows with, I believe, three years still on his deal. Um, and they give up a guy who's going to be a util guy for them anyway at this point. So, yeah, it's a nice move. And then when Riley Green is healthy, he'll find his way to playing time. They have plenty of guys that they can swap in and out to play um, in that outfield at this point for Detroit. So it's not really that big of a... Um, stretch to believe that Riley Green will still get his full amount of at-bats when he's healthy. I expect here in the beginning of the 2022 season that whenever Detroit faces a right-hander, I am going to be having Austin Meadows in quite a few of my DFS lines, maybe targeting some props over at underdog prize picks. There's going to be there's going to be some goodness there with Meadows in Detroit against some right-handers. And we're going to talk a little bit about closers uh, in a couple minutes, most likely. But one trade that does involve multiple closers, actually, is the Marlins going and getting Tanner Scott and Cole Solzer from the Baltimore Orioles. Those two were expected to maybe share opportunities in the back end of the Baltimore pen. Now they go to Miami, where there was already a bit of a a cluster jam there in the back end for closers. Now you're going to add two more proven guys into it there. So talking about this trade a little bit, and if do you see anybody emerging as the clear-cut, de facto, automatic ninth-inning guy in Miami? I think if Floro's healthy, then he's the closer. Um, I mean, that's basically what was presumed in camp, and then he got injured, so that bumped him down, right, um, and gave Anthony Bender the shot. But, yeah, it's it's definitely a muddled bullpen situation there in Miami for sure. Um, obviously, we just talked about Floro and Bender, and now you add in Cole Solzer, who had, uh, based on reports, beaten out Tanner Scott for the closer role 
in Baltimore, but it wasn't really like fully assured. So there's two more dudes who were in a battle who are now going to join a four-way battle. And, um, you know, so I, I think if Floro is healthy, I think he's the closer. That being said, I actually think that Solcer is second on that list. Um, so I think he becomes maybe the de facto guy right now until Floro is healthy. Um, but we haven't really heard which way they're going to go. So we got to watch early in the season and see if it's more of a matchup thing um or or not it's it's interesting too when you look like i'm looking here at like roster resource looking at projections for saves and they got fluoro anywhere from about 12 to 14 and then you look benders at 10 bass is at two soldiers at six scott's at one <coughs> it's just hopefully someone can emerge because there's enough juice with that miami team especially when you look at that pitching staff and there's a couple bats in there that are intriguing too you know, you don't have to be the best team in the league to put up the most save opportunities. We saw it back when Melanson was in Pittsburgh. He was pushing 40, 50 saves a year. And Pittsburgh, was, I mean, that was also the last time they were kind of good, too. But, you know, you don't have to be – you don't have to win 100 games to give your closers 50 to 60 save opportunities. Like, there, this Miami bullpen is intriguing if someone can separate and deviate from the pack and become that clear-cut guy. However, can anybody do it? That's the other question. I think I agree with you, too. If anyone is going to do it, it's got to be Floro. Yeah. I mean, we saw what he did last year. He was he was very good in that role last year. Um, but the other thing to keep in mind is they've got young pitchers in that starting rotation, right? So is this a way that Miami is saying, hey, we're going to start our guys every fifth day, but they're not going to go deep into games because we have the depth of bullpen? to protect their arms basically because look we just named four dudes who could be closers and we didn't even mention anthony bass so that's five guys there's only nine innings in a baseball game so if you if your starter goes five innings you've now got a rotation of five bullpen guys that can come in for the next four innings so that's pretty impressive um not saying that miami is doing that uh, intentionally, but you know we've seen it work for plenty of teams in which they've had just this bevy of bullpen guys that can come in and uh, lock down games starting at like the sixth inning. And so if you have a lead after five, you're in a pretty good spot. And going back to your saves comment, yeah, it, all you need is a mediocre offense to get a bunch of saves because you don't need an offense that's going to blow teams out. Right. I don't want an offense that's scoring like eight runs a game if I have a closer on that team, because if you're scoring eight runs a game and you have a good pitching staff, you're not going to win games eight to seven. You're going to win games eight to two, eight to three, which isn't going to get you saves. So, you know, we've talked about this before. I want guys on mediocre offenses that can score three to five runs a game. Usually, and then, you know, they're in tight games. Like, look at what the Twins – didn't the Twins play a bunch of one-run games last year? Um, the the Mariners certainly did. I know that. So those are the teams that we want to target for saves. But, unfortunately, those are also the teams that don't have lockdown closers. So it's kind of a uh, an interesting situation there. And adding more quality arms, too, will definitely help the Miami starters as well. I mean, the Marlins already had the seventh-best uh, bullpen ERA in 2021. So now, I mean – 
Jesus Lazardo has been a, a, a spring training darling. They already have Sandy Alcantara. They already have Trevor Rogers. Got to give a little boost to the starters as well. Yeah, Pablo Lopez is pretty solid. Um, let's not forget about some guys they have coming up in their system, like Edward Cabrera, uh, Max Mayer. Um, you know, Sixto Sanchez is injured right now. He probably won't be back for most of this year. But they've got some really, really intriguing arms. A uh, prospect to watch out for in that system is Yuri Perez. They deemed him untouchable a couple of weeks ago. So that's usually a good sign, too. They might be a sneaky team in the NL East, folks. They, they might just be. There's, like I said, there's enough juice there to see a path, a clear path to success. Now, we talked about prospects a good bit here pretty much weekly in the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Baseball podcast. We're not going to touch too much on it here, especially with what we have coming up later in the episode. But we did see multiple prospects break camp. So Julio Rodriguez had a nice video on Twitter that came out of uh, getting the news delivered to him. We have Torkelson, who broke camp with the team. Would have been Riley Green, minus the injury. Hunter Green and Nick Lodolo in Cincinnati. Bobby Witt obviously broke it as well. So very cool, feel-good stories with some of these prospects getting the call. And I know there was the incentive in the CBA where top like prospects play the team. You can get picks added on later, I believe. I don't remember the exact verbiage surrounding it, but it's good to see some of these youngsters break camp. And then you still have teams like Pittsburgh who are sending O'Neill Cruz down. So it goes both ways. Yeah. Well, okay. But O'Neill Cruz is, he does actually need more seasoning though, to be fair. I mean, the, the bat, the strikeout, rate is still too high and he's got to go learn how to play outfield because there's no way he's playing shortstop at the major league level there's no way he's six foot seven you don't play a six seven dude can you imagine Aaron Judge playing shortstop I don't think so um I mean he's the same size as Aaron Judge so he's got to go learn to play right field so that one makes sense to me the rest of the guys are already like that's that's quite clear um so, yeah, these are all feel-good stories. I can't say that we're necessarily surprised. Maybe the most surprising one would be Julio Rodriguez to me just because of what we know the Mariners have done previously. Um, and maybe this is their way of getting past what their previous president of baseball ops said. It, that, uh, whatever, the, the recording that leaked out last year about how they like to rig guys – playing time and he doesn't like the Latin players and all that stuff. There's a reason he's no longer in the sport. Um, so I would say that Julio Rodriguez might've been the one that was most shocking to me. Um, just because I didn't necessarily think that there was a guaranteed spot for him in the upfield, given what they just made the trade for. But I will say, keep an eye out for Jesse Winker playing first base. I think they're going to move Winker to first base, to be perfectly honest, um, and clear a spot in the outfield for Julio Rodriguez. Uh, he was, Winker was getting time at first base, doing some drills there in spring training. So you could see Winker at first base, which makes sense because Evan White sucks. Um, his bat is just not anywhere close to what you need for a first baseman. Sure, defense is nice, but the bat is terrible. Um so, yeah, so, I, I, you know, I'm not necessarily shocked by any of them. I think they'll all be pretty solid this year, too. I was on the uh, alarm after hours with Justin Fensterman the other night or morning, however you want to look at it. It was late, nonetheless. 
but we were talking about some props that he made and he he didn't I believe if I remember correctly he didn't touch the Mariners win total but I believe it was 86 and a half if I remember correctly we were talking about that there is a clear path to that team winning over 86 games there's there's a lot of what ifs but that's no different than the other they came major very close teams. to that last year and they mm-hmm. got better yep it's there's I, I believe he said either he took it or no one touched it because they weren't quite confident. And I basically had said, when you look at that team, there's a very clear path to exceeding that number. They, I think they're the second best team in that division. Yeah. And there's a path to that. I mean, uh, we're going to talk about a certain pitcher coming up in a little bit that my fantasy teams are hoping that he makes that leap, which I am very confident that he will. Um, One last a couple youngsters here that kind of ties into what we were talking about there with Justin Upton no longer in L.A., Joe Adele, and my personal favorite, Brandon Marsh. Stocks are up for those two. That's one less guy to get basically out of the way to compete with those two for playing time. So that is good for both of them. But then a little doom and gloom, Jacob deGrom, arm, Lance Lynn, injured. If you haven't drafted yet, I have a draft coming up Wednesday night. So that's, well, the night before opening night. At this point, DeGrom is were, is nothing more than probably a flyer in the later round just because we're already coming into the year pretty banged up. Yeah, so to give you an idea, I had my home auction league you know, draft on Saturday in Atlantic City. The DeGrom news broke Friday, so everybody in the league knew he was injured coming into the draft. Max Scherzer went for 17.5 bucks. I got him. He went for 17 and a half bucks out of a $100 budget. So don't think it was some kind of steal, right? Um, so Jacob DeGrom, on the other hand, went for $4. Which is about what I thought he would go for. I had him pegged at about 5 bucks, So he went for a little less. Um, but yeah, I mean, he was injured last year, right? Um, didn't really pitch after the all-star break, if memory serves. There was health questions coming into this year as to whether or not he would actually be healthy enough for opening day. And then we get this shoulder thing that's like a stress reaction in his scapula, I think. And he's not pitching for four weeks at all. He's not doing anything for four weeks. And then he's got to build back up. So you're talking about losing him for two months, probably. Um... So, yeah, I, I agree with you. You're only getting, at best, at best, three or four months from DeGrom. Um, and, yeah, that's just not worth just not worth a whole, a whole heap lot because you're only going to get about a half a season of innings out of him. And, and the thing, too, yep, the stress reaction in his right scapula. So, I mean. I'm no doctor, but it doesn't sound good. And they said he's expected to miss a significant amount of time to start the season. But here's the thing. Like, you can look a lot into words. Sometimes you look too deep into it, then you overthink things. But he's going to be shut down for about a month, basically the four weeks that you said, before he starts throwing again. And at that point, they're going to reevaluate and determine the right course of action. This is not a guarantee that in four weeks he's throwing right. again. This is a literal, we're stopping for four weeks, and then in four weeks, we are going to make a decision on how to go from here. This is not a, in four weeks, DeGrom is picking up a baseball, and three weeks after that, he's ready to go. This is like this is the epitome of a, a true wait-and-see timetable. There's no guarantee. It, I mean, they, they said he's going to miss a significant amount of time to start 2022. 
I get that. We have no clue when he's coming back. And anyone who says may in fact do, miss the don't. whole season. Like, exactly. That's still keep in table. mind that we don't know if this stress reaction happened because he's adjusted something to prevent the elbow thing from popping back up, right? Because remember, he had the elbow thing last year and never went for surgery. Didn't it wasn't deemed that it needed to be repaired? It just needed to be rested, I guess. But he needed more rest than they thought. So, I mean, think about when you have like a pain in your leg, you shift how you start to walk, and then all of a sudden your opposite hip starts to hurt because now you're putting more weight on that side as opposed to just down the middle, right? It's the same thing with a pitcher. If they change a mechanic, the shoulder can hurt if you're trying to favor your elbow. So this this might be a long-haul thing for DeGrom at this point. And Lance Lynn, he's in a somewhat similar situation although it's not arm for him he had knee surgery so he's pretty much done throwing for four weeks so aka about a month so we won't have him for a little bit the white Sox went out and signed johnny quaid i believe it was to a minor league deal but he'll be up in that rotation sooner rather than later just to eat some innings for them it looks like vince velasquez might end up being the fifth starter for maybe two weeks before he only throws you know 88 pitches in three and a third innings or gets hurt and then Cueto comes in there. So it's a blow to the Chicago rotation, but there's no one that's going to enter that rotation that really, you know, gets me going here for fantasy. Oh, for sure. Um, but I'm less concerned about Lance Lynn based on how durable he's been, and it's a knee thing. So, you know, as long as that thing is stable when he comes back, we'll be fine. Absolutely. And then I mentioned earlier, got to talk about closers. If you, whether you've already drafted, you haven't drafted, you – are getting ready for the season and you need some relief help. Like if you're, if you're like me with some of my teams and you knew you were going to get Rizal Iglesias and then you thought your next three closers after that were going to be David Bednar, Lucas Sims, and Joe Barlow, you thought, I am good for saves, no issues. We're going to be good the entire year. You need to be checking out the fantasy baseball closer grid at fantasyalarm.com. And looking at this chart, it's color coded. It's got basically the stability of the closer ranging from elite to volatile. And we talked about it. Are there about 10 closers that you can trust in fantasy baseball this year? Because we have a total of 11 in the elite and stable category. Um, And that is, I'm sorry, we have 13. That means we have 17 in the fluid and volatile state, including five of which are in that volatile state. And who the hell knows? what's going to happen in the ninth inning there. So make sure you're checking out the fantasy baseball closer grid, but Matt, I'll pose the question to you. Do we really have 10 closers that we can trust this year? Um, I'll put it at about, let's see, we've got Hendricks is one hater two, Presley three, Iglesias four, Edwin Diaz five, Kenley Jansen six, Romano seven, class a eight, um, you better put Gregory Soto in there. That's Soto nine. Adam, good man. Chapman, I'll say ten. I will say that, exactly ten. And that tenth is interesting because, like, for me, I would almost put Taylor Rogers in there instead of Chapman as that tenth that I can trust. I know Chapman's going to be there, but. It, are some of those reports too? Is Chapman not going to only throw the ninth that's, inning anymore? Like, will we see true. him in the eighth? Like, We've seen, that's true. Tough. That's true. We have seen the reports that he may be the setup guy. Um, 
you know, the high leverage middle inning guy type thing. Um, so I could see, okay, I, I could see the, um, I guess Kimbrell, could put Kimbrell in there too. Um, see, this is the whole, this is the whole thing. Like we, we got to, you got to you eight got to nine. confidently. I had to, well, I had to sell you on Soto a little bit. So you had eight pretty confident, but then from there, it's like, if you're going to say one thing, I can come at you with this different angle. And after about the Chapman. Yeah. Kimbrel Rogers range. Then you get into some of these teams like the Cardinals. They have an option, but if, if Jordan Hicks is going to keep throwing 117 mile an hour sinkers that start at the batter's head and then at their feet, I mean he's going to get consideration. Who knows in Cincinnati? Boston could switch it up. The Marlins now have 17 different closers. Mark Melanson throws like 80 poo miles an hour right down the middle. So we we'll have to see there. The Pirates already said they're going to a a. Uh, a committee with Bednar and Stratton and then don't even get me started on some teams like the, the Padres, the Rockies, and now the Orioles really, I mean, this landscape is brutal. Yeah. And keep in mind that the fluid category also includes Texas, the Texas Rangers who we all thought Joe Barlow was going to be the closer for like up until like Thursday, I guess. And then they said, no, he's no longer in the conversation to get saves, even though he was a lockdown guy last year. So, you know, going 12 for 12 with a minuscule ERA and whip last year didn't get him the job. I don't know, like, what other guys have hope for. So it's it's definitely it's definitely brutal right now. And I don't want to I don't want to over exaggerate because a lot happens throughout the year. And some of these guys who are elite, I mean, an unfortunate injury, anything can really happen. But for me, looking back on it now, this seems to happen every year right before the season. I almost wish I would have went for two in that elite category and kind of been done with it. Or maybe I wish I would have took Kenley Jansen when he was hanging out in the mid rounds because we were unsure of where he's going to go. Of course, hindsight is twenty twenty. but looking at some of my teams, my favorite ones really are the ones where I went after like a Rizel and then maybe like a, uh, like an Emmanuel Classe and Gregory Soto range. Those tend to be my best builds because the ones with Barlow and Lucas Sims, I'm tossing them right out the window already. Yeah, I mean, this is also why you got to pay attention to the waiver wire article every week because there's guaranteed to be a closer in there basically every week based on how these things uh, shake out. So uh, we were talking beforehand and I was going over my roster from my home league team and there's like, I don't know, five relievers on this team that could wind up getting saves for me this year. Um, I mean, I've got Ian Kennedy who may get saves now in Arizona. Um, Joe Barlow might get saves at some point. Tyler Duffy might get saves from Minnesota. Um, Michael Givens may be the closer for the Cubs. Who knows? Tony Santillon might be the closer for the Reds. So there you go. I just read off six dudes that I got in a 20 team league that all may get saves at some point this year. Yep. So I think the answer is we got about, we have a firm eight and then you can maybe sell us on two to three more there from the closers. But to wrap up this basically last edition of the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Baseball podcast prior to the start of the regular season, we got to do it. We got to give our predictions for the awards for the year. So Cy Young MVP, Rookie of the Year, and then our World Series matchup and winner. So Matt, I will let you go first with your pick for the American League Cy Young. The American League Cy Young Award. Um, it's pretty, it's a pretty tricky landscape 
actually, to be honest. Um, you know, I can't really count Shane Bieber if I'm standing by my, um, you know, thing that he's going to get traded because you can't get traded midseason switch leagues and then win a side young award. Um, so I am going to go. Oh, boy, this is this is reasonably tough, but I'm going to go with the. The return of Justin Verlander. I'm going to say that Justin Verlander wins the AL Cy Young Award this year. I can't say that I don't hate it. I don't agree with you. I, As of about 37 minutes ago, I was in on Shane Bieber, and then you got me talking about this trade, so now I'm worried about something that could potentially happen. So I'm going to go to Seattle and go with Logan Gilbert in an, in an otherworldly year two jump for a overperforming and overexceeding expectations Seattle Mariners team. So, Logan Gilbert, 2022 AL Cy Young. Matt, what about the National League Cy Young Award winner? Well, why don't you lead off on this one? Ugh, I don't like when you do that. I like when you go first. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm looking at it here. So, obviously, Mitch Keller is the obviious choice. Because <laughs> is for Pittsburgh, and he's been exceptional. He's throwing the ball much, much, much harder. So, I certainly like that but if i am looking at the nl cy young i think i'm gonna have to go a little chalky here and i will go with walker bueller yeah that's probably my pick too um i might be a little biased he's on my fantasy team um but look the guy was phenomenal last year he did get outwinded by his teammate julio urias so he might be a 1b option um but I don't know that Scherzer wins it on the first year of that big contract, so I'm going to stick with uh, Walker Bueller. And then I'm going to go first for the American League MVP because I don't want you to take him, but this guy, elite defender, over his last three years, if you take his numbers per 162 games, we're talking 36 bombs, 22 steals, a batting average near 280. This is the year. This is the year that it all comes together. Health stays there. We won't see 162 games. But we'll probably see 145 to 150, and that will be way more than enough for Minnesota outfielder Byron Buxton to win the American League Most Valuable Player Award. Byron Buxton, I can't say you heard it here first because I'm sure others are picking him as well, but my fandom for this guy has spanned multiple years. So for me, it's Mr. Byron Buxton. Um. Yeah, I mean, I can't say I'm surprised by your pick there at all. Um, I am personally torn between two. Um, but I am going to lean again with the Astros, and I'm going to go with Kyle Tucker. This guy is highly underrated. Um, he's a 30-30 candidate, has very good defensive skills, very good batting average. Um, so I'm going to go with Kyle Tucker, because if I think the Astros are going to compete, it's going to be because of Kyle Tucker. So I'm going to go with him for AL MVP. And then what do you got for the National League MVP? I'll let you roll right into this one. So the NL MVP, um, I kind of got to go hometown here. I'm going to go with Juan Soto. I know it's weird to be picking a guy from a last place team. Um, It has happened. But let's face it, they weren't very good last year, and he finished, what, second in the NL MVP voting? Um, so, yeah, I just think this guy is 
this generation's Ted Williams. I'm not even kidding. I think the Nats should pay him $500 million. Uh, I don't even care how long that contract is. It could be one year, $500 million. I don't care. Just sign him. Um, and um, he's that good, man. I And the addition of Nelson Cruz behind him, I think, is only going to make him a better hitter, which is a scary concept. So I'm going to go with Juan Soto. I know he doesn't usually have the steals that people like to see for everything, but he's got batting average. He's on base. He may get on base at a 480 clip this year, and that's not even that's not even kidding. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna go with Juan Soto for NL MVP. I like the Soto call. My my instinct goes to Trey Turner. That's where I want I was to go between him and Soto too, to be honest. However, I don't know if that's bold enough for this. So I'm going to say Francisco Lindor in a bounce-back year in New York with a revamped team around him. So let's go Francisco Lindor for the National League MVP. Let's talk about Rookie of the Year here. We've talked a bunch about prospects. You have your own prospect rankings up on the site, so make sure everyone checks that out at FantasyAlarm.com. So who do you have for AL Rookie of the Year? Um, For AL Rookie of the Year, I got to go with Bobby Witt Jr., I mean, the guy is – there's a reason he's my number one prospect. He is phenomenal. Um, He may set rookie records in a whole bunch of categories this year. And he's going to be doing it while learning a new position because he's slated to play third base for the Royals. So I'm going to go with Bobby Witt Jr., who could very easily be a 2020 guy this year, if not 25-25. So, yeah, that's my pick for the AL Rookie of the Year. Those were my exact sentiments as to why I also believe Bobby Witt Jr. would win AL Rookie of the Year. Took the words right out of my mouth. I will go over to the National League here. This isn't, again, it's a little bit chalky, kind of like how I went with Bueller for the NL Cy Young, but I'm going with Seiya Suzuki with the Cubs. He's going to play a lot. 25 bombs, maybe 5 to 10 stolen bases. Again, it's not flashy. There's going to be other guys there like C.J. Abrams, Hunter Green, and maybe even like a Nick Lodolo type that could become interesting. I would probably have leaned O'Neal Cruz if he would have broke camp with the team, but a full year for Suzuki will probably outweigh whatever Cruz does if and when he gets the call there. So I'm going to go pretty chalky and go say a Suzuki. I thought I was going to be out in in right field with that one, pardon the pun, because uh, I am also going to say a Suzuki. Um, you know, pitching rookies are tough to predict whether, you know, wins are going to have a factor or whatnot. The two prominent rookie pitchers for the NL are both playing in Cincinnati, which is an awful ballpark to try to keep your ratios in check. Um, So, you know, and the other, the other rookies, you you mentioned CJ Abrams. I think he's in, you know, kind of a part-time role and what happens when Tatis comes back and, Whatnot. There's some other guys that could be in the mix too, but for me, an everyday player has to take precedence, and it's going to be Seiya Suzuki for me as well. Oh, we agreed. I wasn't sure we'd agree on anything, and let alone we agreed on two. So look at us go. But the last one here for the final prediction for the 2022 Major League season. We're moving away from the awards. Who does Matt Sells at the Sellsman on Twitter have in the World Series, and who wins that final series of the season? So, I think it's going to be the Braves again from the NL. I don't think for all of their bluster and and whatnot and the guarantee that Dave Roberts made, I think the Dodgers fall short. Um, I just don't 
see quite the depth in their pitching staff that I do with the Braves at this point. Um, and the offense is going to be spectacular for the Braves. So I'm going to go with the Braves in the NL. As for the AL, this is where things get interesting to me. But I know the chalk is Toronto. And I really just don't see any other team that's quite as complete as Toronto is at the moment in the um, AL. I know I've been all over Houston. I think they make it to the uh, AL championship series. But I think it's it's Toronto and Atlanta. And I'm going to put the Braves as going back-to-back. You know, there will be some folks out there who like and don't like your prediction there. So I'll ruffle some feathers. Pirates Orioles. That's the only way I see it happening here for the 2022 season. And if it's not those two teams, I am going to lean with the – it's hard not to pick the Dodgers. Just give me the Dodgers. I will go Dodgers-White Sox, and the White Sox win the whole shebang. So, again, that's, of course, if it's not Pirates Orioles or Pirates Athletics. That just want to get that out there. This is like a conditional pick for me, but give me the White Sox winning it this year. Hopefully they all put it together and Eloy Jimenez stays healthy as well as Luis Robert or Robert, however you want to say it. Cause apparently his name is just, it's a cup of tea. You just say it however you want to, and everyone moves on with it from there. But that was the final edition of the fantasy alarm, fantasy baseball podcast before the start of the regular season. It's been a journey with you here, Matt, going from the lockout to the lockout ending to waiting on spring training games to getting spring training games to talking about prospects, position battles. Now, as we head into the season, we'll basically get to recap what goes on in the week ahead, different articles at Fantasy Alarm. We're going to have a lot of stuff to talk about. We'll actually have to cut stuff out instead of finding up stuff to kind of talk about here on the podcast. Oh, for sure. It's fantastic to have baseball back. I don't even care that it's a week after we were supposed to. We got baseball back. They're playing a full season. It's phenomenal. We're going to have a bunch of young, talented guys. Folks, this is the golden age of baseball. I'm fully convinced of that between the young talent that's coming up and what's already on the field. It's fantastic. Let's go ahead and enjoy this great season we've got. And uh, who knows what plays out? You know, we all see it going one way, but who knows? Might go a completely different direction than anybody thought. So that's the beauty of the game. Baseball is an incredibly humbling game, whether you're watching it or playing it, more so playing it. But you're absolutely right. This is the golden age of baseball. Enjoy it. Baseball is back. We all have the privilege to watch Byron Bucks and stay healthy this year and win the American League MVP. So make sure we enjoy that every single day and don't take a single game for granted. But for Matt Sells at The Sells Man on Twitter, I am Colby Conway at Colby R. Conway on Twitter. And next time we talk to you all out there, members of the family and those who just casually listen or check out FantasyAlarm.com, we will have actual baseball games being played in the 2022 MLB regular season. So until next time, we will see you then.